This morning we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 13 from verse 1 to verse 23. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives this, received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is God's word for us this morning. I'm going to talk first this morning about why Jesus speaks in parables, and then we'll have three questions from this parable for us. But we're going to begin with why does Jesus speak in parables? So I had a really good friend in high school and college whose name was David, and he had this joke that he loved to tell. It was his favorite joke. He told it every chance he got. He'd build it up and build it up, and he called it his farmer joke. And here it is for you today. There was a farmer. He had a tractor. That's it. That is it. I hated that joke. I hated that joke with a passion, and year after year, I heard it over and over again, every time we met a new person together. But then eventually, I figured out the humor of the joke, and the humor of the joke is not in the joke, because the joke isn't funny, right? The humor is watching people when they hear the joke for the first time, and you see the wheels turning, and they're going, what? He can't be done. 
He is done. That's so dumb. What? Oh, he got me. You see, the humor isn't in the story itself. The humor is in what the story does to people. You don't think in terms of just the joke. You think in terms of the whole situation and what's going on there. And in many respects, more than we're sometimes comfortable with, Jesus' parables have some of that dynamic. They're often confusing or challenging. They, they leave people going, what? Can't be done yet. And they're a bit mysterious. And part of the point of all the parables is that they grab the listener and they drag the listener in. To understand the parables, you almost always have to think in terms not just of the story, but in terms of the audience and in terms of what Jesus wants to do to people through the story. Now, in the verses that we read for today, Jesus gives us a couple reasons that he speaks in parables. In verses 11 to 17, Jesus says that he speaks in parables to conceal and also to reveal. He speaks in parables because some people will not see. And he speaks in parables in order to help people see. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, especially in chapters 11 and 12, there have been people who have just rejected Jesus. Jesus has done miracles. He's fulfilled prophecies. He's done everything you could ask. And these people are still rejecting him. And Jesus knows that no matter what he does, no matter what he says, these people are going to keep on rejecting him. They aren't going to listen. They aren't going to see. They aren't going to understand. And so Jesus speaks in parables so that they don't understand. But then, at the same time, Jesus speaks in parables to help people understand. Jesus speaks in parables so that even those who have a little glimmer of faith, even those who have a little bit of a desire to understand, to help those people understand more. He says, whoever has even the beginnings of understanding will be given more, and they'll have an abundance. If we listen to Jesus' parables and we're on the edge, we wonder whether we want to listen to Jesus more or not. We're thinking, boy, am I going to follow this person or not? Well, the parables want to shake us loose. They want to get us engaged. They want to invite us to really, really think about what Jesus has to say, to really dig in. And if we're already a follower of Jesus, if we're committed, then the parables invite us to really listen, to go deeper, to think, what is Jesus trying to teach me through this? The more people reject Jesus, the less they're able to hear him. And the more people respond to Jesus, the more they are able to hear and to see. My kindergarten teacher, Miss Scoville, had this little line that she loved to repeat. The more you read, the better you read. The better you read, the more you read. The more you read, the better you read. The better you read, the more you read. And that's true of following Jesus. The more we really listen, the more we understand. And the more we understand, the more we listen. The more we listen, the more we understand. The more we understand, the more we're able to listen. And that's what the parables are for. They're there to, to catch us to make us really listen and to help us understand Jesus more. These parables are not just nice, easy stories. Often they require explanation. They require us to really pay attention. 
And they do that to help us hear and to help us really see Jesus. And in the parable that we read for today, the sower represents Jesus. And in that story, he tells us that he's planting the word in the lives of those who are listening to him. And then Jesus talks about several responses to his word, to his work, to who he is. And we'll talk about those responses with three questions today. And our first question is, are we receptive? Are we receptive to the word? Jesus tells us that some of the seed falls along the path and the birds come and they eat it up. This is hard ground. Maybe it doesn't actively chase the seed away on its own, but there's no receptivity there. And so the seed just passes along the surface. It sits there for a little while and then it's gone. Pixar made this movie called Cars a few years ago. It's a kid's movie and it's set in a world where there are no human beings. Cars, trucks, planes, trains, they're people. And in that first Cars movie, there's this, there's this semi-truck called Mac, you know, Mac truck. And his job is to cart around a race car. And there's one particular part where the race car tells him, we got to drive all night, Mac. we got to get to the destination. you just got to keep going. I'll stay awake with you. And then the race car falls, falls asleep in the back. And Mac goes on and on. And as he drives through the night, he starts to get more and more sleepy. And he's shaking his face and... He's trying to stay awake, and he gets his eyes open, and then they go shut again, and he starts to wobble a little bit on the road. And then these three hot rods come up, or four hot rods, and they notice that Mac is going to sleep. And one of them says, hey, we got a nodder. So one of them turns their radio way up on an easy listening track, and Mac says, oh, pretty music. And then the hot rods start pushing him back and forth on the highway. One of them bumps him, and he drifts. Halfway listening to the music. Another one bumps him to the other side. He drifts back. Halfway listening to the music. And they keep pushing him back and forth. And he drifts. And he drifts. And then one of them says, oh, I missed. And they let him drift off the road. A lot of people in our time, a lot of people are just drifting when it comes to faith. There might not be any big moment of decision, but... But we drift, we go to sleep, we stop paying attention, and we just, we just kind of let it go. The word is out there, but we don't really grab hold of it. The word is out there, but eh, I'm kind of tired. And so we drift and drift and drift. This month we're doing a live feed of Calvin College's January series, and the first presentation this week was by Calvin College's chaplain, Mary Holst. And she talked about millennials and the Christian faith. Millennials are people who are born kind of between the early 1980s and the early 2000s. And there's been some recent research done on the type of faith commitment that this generation has. And this research separated people into three groups. People who have a strong faith commitment, people who have kind of a weak faith commitment, people kind of on the margins of faith, and people who have no kind of faith commitment at all. So people with strong commitment, weak commitment, no commitment. And what this research found was compared to previous generations, the percentage of millennials with a strong faith commitment has actually stayed pretty steady. You look at baby boomers, you look at Gen Xers, you look at millennials, the percentage of them who have a really strong, vibrant faith commitment has pretty much stayed the same. 
But you look at people who have a weak faith commitment over the generations. People who would show up to church every now and then but not really be engaged. And what you see is a fairly steady pattern in previous generations and then a nosedive when it comes to the millennials. People are just drifting away. And so what you see then with the number, the percentage of people who have no faith commitment, it stayed pretty steady in previous generations, and now with the millennials, it's shooting up. The number of the people who have a strong faith commitment is pretty steady. Weak faith commitment is dropping like a rock, and no faith commitment is soaring like a rocket. If you think of that in terms of generations, grandpa and grandma maybe went to church occasionally, dad and mom were Christmas and Easter types, and the kids don't go anymore at all. There's no, no connection, no commitment there. The story of our culture with faith these days is a slow drifting away. Surveys can't tell us about people's heart commitments, but what the data does show us is that a significant percentage of people in our culture are just drifting away from the faith. Now, there are certainly some crisis moments, some people who leave with an explosion But at least in my experience, a lot of the people who leave just kind of drift away. That's the trajectory of our culture, to just drift, to stop being receptive, to tune out. The seed is there, but the soil doesn't take hold of it. So here's the challenge of this first question for us today. What trajectory are we on? What does the trajectory of our lives, the trajectory of our families, what does it look like? And if you trace out the line of your spiritual walk, do you like where it's headed? What trajectory are we on? Are we receptive to the word or are we just drifting? And if we've been drifting, this is a wake-up call. This is an invitation. This is... This is a plea for you to be receptive and to engage with Jesus. Now, after Jesus talks about the seed that fell along the path, he talks about seed that falls on rocky soil. And that leads to our second big question for today. Are we rooted? Are we rooted in the faith? In the parable, Jesus tells us that some seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. And it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now, there's a lot of places in the land of Israel where the bedrock is quite close to the surface. I'm not sure if it's actually this or this, but the bedrock is really close to the surface and there's not much ground above it. And that's actually really, really good initial growing conditions because you see not a whole lot of sun is necessary to heat up the bedrock and to heat up that little layer of soil on top. So pretty early in the season, if you plant in this little rocky soil, you get great growth. It's warmed up. It's ready to go. The seeds can just take off. The plants shoot up. But there comes a point pretty quickly when the plants can't go any deeper because their roots hit the bedrock. And then as the season progresses, the sun gets hotter and hotter. Every day brings more and more heat. And because, because the plants can't get their roots down, Because they can't get to the water, because they aren't well-rooted, they wither and they die. They burn up 
because they never got roots down that could help them survive the heat. Some people receive the word with joy, but, but they don't put down roots so it doesn't last. When a hard time comes, they can't hang on. They burn out of the faith because they can't stand the heat of trouble or persecution. Johnny Manziel was a really good college football quarterback a few years ago. Amazing player, could do incredible things on the football field, incredible statistics, won lots and lots of games in college. But uh, he had a lot of, shall we call them, non-football interests, which is to say he loved to go out and party, party, party as much as he possibly could. And in college, he got away with that because he was so talented that he could play at a high level even without putting all the time in. But then he got drafted by the Cleveland Browns. And if you know the Cleveland Browns, anything with the Browns and a quarterback is bad news, just what it is. So he started playing professional football, and he was terrible, absolutely terrible. He put in the practice time that he had to, but he didn't do anything beyond that. And so game after game, he fell apart. And there was one week where the Browns were playing a big division rival, and he got all up for it, and he just about guaranteed a victory. And then he flopped. It was terrible. He could hardly play. And afterwards, in an interview, Johnny said, I, I don't understand how we lost. I don't understand why I couldn't play better. I worked so hard this week. And what he was saying there was he didn't actually work hard any other week. Just this one week when he really wanted to beat the big, tough division rivals. That week he worked hard. But because he hadn't put the time in before time, he flopped and he failed. If we don't put roots down day by day, week by week, we are not going to be able to stand when the test comes. One of my favorite commentators on Matthew put it this way about this verse. The scorching sun represents the fact that following Jesus will not always be fun. Following Jesus will not always be fun. It will bring eternal joy, but here and now it will not always be fun. And if we don't put roots down in the good times, we will not be able to stand the heat of the bad times. Our day-to-day -day faithfulness, what we do today is practice for when the hard days come. Our faithfulness today gives us the roots we need for when the trials come. So here's the challenge of this part of this parable. How are we putting roots down? How are we digging deep now so that when the heat comes, we can take it? If we belong to Jesus, let's dig deep into his word. Let's, let's get serious about our spiritual walk. Let's engage with other believers. Let's get rooted deeply in the faith so that we can hang on when tough times come. And that leads to our third and final question for today. Are we resolute? Are we resolute? And I know resolute isn't the most common word, but I needed an R, right? Are we receptive? Are we rooted? Are we resolute? So we got an R. Are we resolute? Or to put it another way, are we focused? Are we focused? In the third part of his parable, Jesus tells us about seed that fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with the plants and eventually choked out the plants. Some people hear Jesus and they're interested in what he has to say, but there's always other stuff going on. There's other things to worry about. There's other pursuits to get involved with. There's other, there's other treasures to grab hold of. 
And if we're not focused on Jesus, there will always be other things that pull us away. A huge part, a huge part of following Jesus is just holding on. The thorns will come. There will always be distractions and challenges and troubles. But if we really serve Jesus, then we need to be resolute. We need to be focused on keeping him at the center all the time, every day. Terry Pratchett is a really well-known, best-selling English author, and he's also, or was, he passed away a few years ago, was a very, very clear, committed atheist. In a lot of his books, he makes fun of the quirks of religious people and religions, but he had these moments where he, he gets at what faith really should be all about. So in one of his books, there's this situation where a a young reverend, a young priest, and an old village witch are traveling together. And there's a huge backstory there, but basically they're going to rescue a kidnapped child and his mother. So they're off on this rescue. And along the way, they get into, not a fight, but an argument. They're discussing the appearance of this God that this priest follows, a time that he appeared to all of his followers. And there's discussion. Did it really happen? Did it not? People go back and forth and back and forth. And when Granny Weatherwax, the witch, pushes the reverend oats on this, he eventually responds with, well, there's two ways to look at every question. And Granny, this this old atheist who I think is speaking with the author's voice, says, right, right, that's people for you. But now if I'd seen God, if I'd seen the God really there, really alive, it would be in me like a fever. If I thought there was really some God who did care for people like who did care for people like a mother and watch over them like a father. Well, you wouldn't find me being just generally nice in the hope that it would all work out. Not if that flame was burning in me like an unforgiving sword. And I did say burning, Mr. Oates, because that's what it would be. You say you people don't burn folk or make sacrifices anymore, but that's what true faith would mean, you see. Sacrificing your own life one day at a time sacrificing your own life to the flame declaring the truth of it working for it breathing the soul of it that's religion anything else is just being nice and a way of keeping in touch with the neighbors and then she pauses for a moment she goes on in a quieter voice anyway that's what I would be if I really believed And I don't think that's fashionable right now. True belief is never fashionable. Holding on to faith is not something we can do with two minds or something we can do in our spare time. If we really believe, if the flame of belief really burns in us, then it needs to determine everything we do. What would it look like? What would it look like for each of us to be really focused, really resolute in following Jesus? What would that look like? Maybe it would mean completely transforming our lives. Maybe it would mean making some sacrifices for the cause of Christ. Maybe it would mean just holding on today and tomorrow. 
Now all of this, all of this sounds like, sounds like a lot, right? And I can stand here all day and I could beat on you and I could keep talking and talking and talking about how we need to, we need to be burning with this inner flame and we need to hold on and we need to be receptive and rooted and resolute. But honestly, I could talk all day and it might not make any difference. We can pound on people, you gotta do this. But really, that's not gonna change anything. What is gonna change it is God working inside us. Jesus demands a lot of us. When we read the Gospels, when we read even parables like this, we should be concerned. We should feel like we can't measure up, like we can't do it because we can't. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything for him that he hasn't already done for us. When we were drifting away from God and going about in our own way, Jesus could have let us go. But instead he came down and he came after us and he found us and he brought us back to God. Jesus could have let us face the trials and troubles of this life all on our own. But instead, he came down and he suffered for us. He suffered for us more than we will ever understand. And now he walks with us through our troubles and through our suffering. And you know, God could let us go when we wander after other treasures, when we get distracted by other things, when we, when we get consumed with other worries and not focused on him. But instead, Jesus came and he brought to us all of the treasures of the kingdom of God given for us. Everything that Jesus calls us to do for him, Jesus already did for us and so much more. And it's not just that Jesus did those things and so we have to work ourselves up to do them too. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes and works like a flame in us. God changes us by his power, not by our own effort or our own determination. And so when we ask ourselves these hard questions and we answer as all of us have to sometimes, well, I haven't been that receptive to the word. Well, no, I'm not really all that rooted in Jesus. Well, no, no, I'm not really all that focused. I'm not really all that resolute. At those times, God works in us to bring us closer to him. So if you're at a point when you hear all these things and you just think, I can't do it. I, I, I can't do it. Well, you're right, you can't. But if you go to the Lord and you ask him, you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, give me your power. Make me good soil. Make me productive. Make me able to hold on to Jesus. If you go to the Lord and you ask him that, he will do it. Test the Lord on this and you will find that he is good and he is faithful. So, Jesus calls us to receive his word, to be deeply rooted in it, to be resolute in holding on to it. But he also gives us growth. He works in us. Whatever we have of faith, even if it is tiny, 
Jesus assures us that whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Everyone who holds on to Jesus finds abundant life more than we could ever expect because of the power of God at work within us. So because of the work of God's word and God's spirit, be receptive to the word. Be rooted in the word. Be resolute in the word. And the word and the spirit of God will carry us through.